You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Some of you in this room I know are observant, like keenly, and you may have been in here this morning and something is different. So I've been the pastor here for nine and a half years, and for the third time this past week, we were struck by lightning. Why God can't do this in the middle of when I'm preaching, I don't know. But um, lots of things blew up. And so we are still in the midst of, like, the lights work, but the things that control the lights aren't working. And when you try to plug them in, sparks start flying, and um, you'll notice the projector is gone. Well, the rental is back behind you. (laughs) Uh, So we are on modified, not even plan B today, um, but... Major thanks to Lee and Steve and Lon and um, some guys that have been up here probably a whole lot more than they would have wanted to be this week so that we could get things going today. Um, And praise the Lord that Chad was only in this room when it was struck by lightning and wasn't the the thing that it came toward. Um, So... Here we are. Um, We've been in this series, Foundations, um, throughout this month, and this morning we're going to wrap it up. Uh, We've been talking about some um, principles that we as the church are grounded in, founded on. Um, We've talked about the priority of the Word of God. We've talked about the mandate on the life of every believer. And last week we looked at the mission of the church. This morning we are going to conclude with the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is mentioned 126 times in the gospels and about 35 more times throughout the rest of the New Testament. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about hell, more than he talked about sin, uh, more than he talked about money, marriage, or even the church. So this ought to bring a very relevant question to mind. Well, what is the significance of the kingdom of God? If the scriptures talk about it this much, and more, more importantly, Jesus himself kept on talking about it. Um, well, so to figure this out, let's begin where Jesus began. Um, open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. Um, if you're a version Bible app person, um, if you go down to the more button there, you can find events and you will find the brook and the sermon for this morning. But in Matthew chapter 4, um, Jesus, he's been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Um, he was led out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. Um, At the end of this, Satan comes and tempts Jesus, and he uh, withstands that temptation with the word of God. And then it tells us that Jesus heads back into Galilee and sort of settles in Capernaum. And he's beginning his ministry, and it says in Matthew 4, 17, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then if you look down into verse 23, Jesus went all throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So then flip over to the gospel of Mark, the next book of the Bible. 
into chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Mark tells us, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. It has finally come. The kingdom of God has arrived. It is at hand. So this may sound like kind of a no-brainer thing to say or to realize, but it needs to be stated nonetheless. To have a kingdom, you have to have a king. That's what the people of God had been waiting on. Now, you remember back in the Old Testament, they wanted an earthly king. And they kept yelling and screaming, give us, give us, give us an earthly king. Finally, God said, well, okay, I'm going to give you what you wanted. And he gave them King Saul. And King Saul was just what they asked for, but then maybe not so much what they needed or wanted. Well, this is way bigger because God had been promising from the beginning, I'm going to send not just a king, I'm going to send a savior, a Messiah. So what's happening here is what Israel spent several thousand years waiting for, Jesus comes and inaugurates. But here's the thing. Um, He does it. He he ushers it in, not as a king riding in on a horse, but as a baby born in a barn. Um, Jesus doesn't come, like as he begins his ministry, hovering down through the clouds. He gets humbly baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin, who most people think is crazy, John the Baptist. This kingdom seems to be sort of upside down and backwards as to what most people would be expecting. Jesus knew something that everybody else did not know. Jesus knew that he had to take up his cross before he could take up his throne. Jesus understood. He came understanding. He left the throne and left the crown behind. I've got to take up the cross before I can put the crown on. The basic meaning of the words kingdom of God, when we talk about kingdom, we see it in the New Testament. Um, This is always talking about God's kingly rule, his reign, his action, his lordship, his sovereign governance over all things. But I want you to notice something interesting as you read throughout the gospels. Jesus will talk about the kingdom one way, but then he'll talk about it another way. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus has said, the reign of the king has begun. But then the next time you see him talking about it, he may very well be saying, it's coming. Look with me in Luke chapter 19. And we are going to be all over the New Testament this morning. So, fasten your seatbelt. Luke 19 is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. In 19.10, Jesus has said, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. But now look at verse 11. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable. Why did he tell them a parable? Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. 
So again, you hear Jesus saying that the kingdom of God has both arrived, it's at hand, and it's still far off and not yet fully present. Is Jesus like missing the mark? Is Jesus confused? Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? Because how can the kingdom be already present and not yet present? How does that work? How can Jesus say these things? Here's how, here's why. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. And so understand that the reign of God, God's sovereign action in the world to redeem and to deliver his people, uh, this is going to happen through Christ coming. Well, here Christ is, and he's speaking these things. But it is also about a future time when God is going to renew his people, restore the world completely, make all things new through Christ's return. Well, Christ can't return yet because he was still standing there. He'd just come in the first place. So it's here, it's arrived, but it's not going to be fully here and arrived until I leave and I return again. So let's look at a few of the instances where Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom of God because we need to understand what this means for us as God's people. If you turn a couple pages back in Luke 17, Luke 17, um, the Pharisees have come again to test Jesus. In Luke 17, verse 20, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. How is Jesus saying this to the Pharisees? Well, because the king himself is standing right in front of them and telling them the kingdom of God, it's here. It's right in front of you. But Jesus only gives the Pharisees so much. Because then it says in verse 22, now he turns to the disciples. And Jesus said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there or look here. Don't go out or follow them. In other words, all of the countless times in your lifetime and mine that somebody has said, oh, this is when Christ is coming back. Mark it down. And people drink Kool-Aid and die. Or people drink poison and they all go to sleep and never wake up. And all these things. They're all lies from hell because Jesus is saying they're going to come out and they're going to tell you they know. They don't know because the Father hasn't even revealed it to me. Don't listen to them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, that's how the Son of Man will come. That's how it will be in his day. Now listen to this. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus knew the cross comes before the crown. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It is within your grasp. Jesus is right there. You don't need to look for it in the sky. You don't need to look for all of these cosmic signs. I am right in front of you. 
Now, here's the thing. Rome is not necessarily going to be kicked out or overturned. Israel's not necessarily going to be vindicated. This earthly king that, kingdom that you're all thinking about, um, that probably isn't going to happen either. But the kingdom of God is within your grasp. The king had come bringing his kingdom. But here's the big asterisk in Luke 17 and throughout the Gospels. Jesus wasn't the king that they wanted. The Pharisees in particular, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. There was, however, one Pharisee that seemed to have a different heart. His name was Nicodemus. Turn with me into the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now there was a man, John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and he said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're already physically born, Nicodemus, but you need to be spiritually born. That's born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want you to look at verse 3 there. The first thing Jesus says to Nicodemus, and he tells him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I believe that if we did a survey throughout the church, throughout those of us who are actively growing in our walk with Christ and in our faith, there is an overall um, I think most of us hear and read that verse and we think that what Jesus is talking about is this very far off thing. No one can ultimately see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can get to heaven. No one can see heaven. No one can get there eternally unless he's born again. Well, Jesus is saying that. However, Jesus is also talking in terms of the here and now. He's saying, he's talking about right now. You're not going to be able to see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Because it's through the presence and power of my spirit. First, we must see the kingdom of God. And this can only happen through faith in Christ. This can only happen by believing in the king. That's the only way to see his kingdom. Verse 16. You've heard this one before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why did Jesus say that? Because the world's already condemned. Jesus didn't need to help any of us be condemned. That's how we came into this place. Jesus says, I've come to save you. I did not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Friends, as we see the kingdom of God through faith in Christ, we will begin to advance the kingdom of God through the power of his spirit in our lives. We will do what Jesus said. We come to the light and our works are clearly seen to be from God. But how do we do this? Like, how, how does this happen? Um, how can you and I actively bring the kingdom of God? Our mission statement here at the Brook is that we exist, our church exists to live intentionally to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go. How do we do this? Well, let's go back to the beginning of Matthew again. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I will tell you that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7, is basically Jesus saying, I want to describe for you what my upside down kingdom looks like. Because everything that you and the world expect it to look like, it's probably going to be the opposite. And you know Jesus begins these series of things saying, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. Well, I tell you, don't even harbor anger in your heart. And Jesus goes on with this. But go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Let's start in verse 3. And let's look at some instances, even throughout the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus brings up the kingdom. Matthew 5, 3, the beginning of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 19. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus seems to be saying that the humble, the righteous, the obedient, those are my kingdom people. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus moves on to talking about prayer. In, in verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, this is how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, revered, worshipped is your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done. We are to be humble. We are to be obedient. We are to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. And we are to pray and ask God, Lord, manifest your kingdom in us, through us, among us. And God says, I will, as you walk in obedience. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus has said, Why are you so worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and where you're going to hang your hat? Because my father takes care of the flowers and the birds, and he cares about you way more than them. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All those things will be taken care of. Seek after God's kingdom above all things. Every day, take a hardcore inventory about what kingdom it is that you seem to be running toward and racing for. Matthew 7, verse 21. This is a scripture that ought to bring at least a moderate level of fear and trembling to every single one of us, that Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Obey what Jesus says. Follow him. Now turn a few pages over into Matthew 13. This is when Jesus starts into a series of parables. But in Matthew 13, verse 44, in these two quick parables, Jesus, this is like a, this is, a bolt of lightning would have been good with these. I'm just saying. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, but then he covered it back up. Why would he do that? Well, because he went and sold everything that he had and bought the field because he knew that that treasure was more valuable than anything else he owned. Jesus says, that's my kingdom. He goes on, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus says, let me tell you about my kingdom. Once you see it and once you taste it, you will value it more than anything that this world has to offer. Friends, the kingdom of God comes with the king. And so bringing the kingdom requires us bringing the king. Wherever we go, Whatever we're doing, why ever we're there. When we pray to the king, your kingdom come, we begin to see it even more because those are the moments of communion with God where we are saying, Lord, whatever in my life uh, right now that this is not of your kingdom, I need you to remove it. When we seek the king above all other things, our lives begin to reflect his kingdom values. When we worship and adore the king above all other things, our idols, they begin to fall and crumble and be exposed for what they really are. 
when we proclaim the good news of what the king has done, we are announcing his reign to others. When we build our lives upon his word, we are declaring allegiance to his eternal kingdom. Friends, when we value Jesus more than anything else in this world, we will bring his kingdom. Because the king has come and he has put his spirit to live within us and everywhere that we walk and talk and breathe, we have the opportunity to announce that he's come. Again, as a church, we exist to live intentionally to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go. To bring God's kingdom, we have to be bringing the king. We have to bring Jesus. I want to encourage you for a moment just to think about life. Maybe the last week you've walked through. Maybe the one that's on its way here. Where is the king needed? I mean, do you see, do you see those people? Maybe they live across the street from you work in the office next to you. Maybe that other parent on your kid's team. Something inside of you says, man, I don't know that they have the peace and the hope and the joy that I have in my life. Where's the king needed? Who, who is it that you need to bring him to. One of the things that we have said here at the Brook that we value is having interruptible lives. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, it will interrupt our lives. It will interrupt our days. The question is, are we living intentionally to bring it with us? Because it won't happen accidentally. You're not going to strike up this like intimate relationship with your neighbors accidentally. You're not going to have conversations that build trust that eventually lead to sharing the gospel with your coworker accidentally. We've got to be about living intentionally. But I want to share with you this morning the two things that have to happen. We talk a lot about the first person every day that you and I need to preach the gospel to is who? Ourselves. Here's the gospel of the kingdom. The king left his throne to, to come after his enemies. It's amazing that we, we pretty much plainly declared all of this in song earlier. He came after me, found me, and I didn't want to come. I will tell you that at 16, 17 years old, I was trying to tell the king, go fly a kite, go find somebody else. I don't want any part of it. And he kept coming after me. 
And finally, he picked me up out of the ditch I was in. And he cleaned me off. And he put his name on my life. Said, this one belongs to me. Brought me into his home and pulled me up to his table. Adopted me as his son and said, you belong to me now. But see, then what God does is he says to his kids seated at the table, go back into the alleys and into the streets and into your homes and find the people who were where you were and announce to them the king has come. Where you see that marriage struggling and failing Go and announce the good news of the gospel because that's the thing that will save it. When you see that person who is in grief over what they are facing, go and announce the good news of the hope of the gospel that, hey, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus has not only overcome sin, he's overcome death. So death, it's got no hold on me. We've got to allow our lives to be interrupted. I want to share this with you. Not for you to say, way to go, Brian, or anything of that nature. But because I think that we sometimes practically, tangibly, literally just need to see and hear, what does this look like? I love Saturdays. I love, I do, I like mowing my grass. Um, I like watching baseball. Um, I like swimming. Um, I like running around my house in my underwear if I want to. Uh, There's lots of things I like. But yesterday we loaded our family in the car and we drove two hours to see some people that we dearly love because their marriage is in the toilet. And my wife and I sat sweating at a park bench for two hours with these two people that we love, talking and praying and talking and praying. And I'll be honest with you that the only thing I went into that conversation knowing to say was, are you believing the gospel can rescue your marriage? Because I know these two people are followers of Christ. But somewhere six weeks ago, six months ago, they stopped believing God can save this. Oh, God can save me eternally from sin, but I just don't think he can save this. Yes, he can. And I texted our pastors and elders last night at like 8.30 to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for praying because two hours of what I will only describe as hell on earth ended with 30 minutes of what I see as possible breakthrough from God. I spent yesterday morning in the gym telling a guy who's a Christian who I'm friends with, you need to pray for me because my selfish attitude right now is I don't want to go. And right there in the YMCA, Andrew prayed 
for me. Because you see, the gospel, the good news that God has come to rescue and to save, it, it took us from death to life. So maybe this life that we now have ought to be interrupted every once in a while to announce it to someone else. Living intentionally to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go. That's why we're here. Because remember, we read this promise last week from Jesus when he was telling his disciples, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but I will tell you this. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then I will return. Folks, I love my wife. Um, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I love my kids. I, I'm just psyched out of my mind watching them grow up. Not so psyched the fact that my 13-year-old son is as tall as me now, but I'm coping with it. I love being with you, but I'm not going to lie to you this morning. I want Jesus to come and make all of this new. But there are still people out there that right now, if he comes, they're not going to be with you. They're not going to be with me. They're not going to be with him. Let's go tell them who he is and what he's come to do. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.